Now, if you'd like to turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 11, that's where we're going to be again this morning. If you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Genesis. It's the start of January, Genesis 1 through 11. Our desire, we're seeking to build a biblical worldview. We're seeking to have God's word shape our minds, shape our hearts, how we see things, how we live. And of course, we want to keep doing that ever increasing. That's, that is our desire. I don't think any of us ever get there fully. We want to keep doing that. We want to keep having God's word expose our hearts, expose our mind. And, and live with a biblical worldview. I don't know about you, but I found our time in Genesis has been, it's been so rich, it's been so relevant uh, to today's world, it's been so timely. The past few weeks we've been looking at the flood, the global flood, wiped out humanity, God's judgment for sin, and then following that, last week we looked at eight people coming off the ark. They're called to repopulate the earth. We learned about the Noahic covenant, the true meaning of the rainbow, God's promise to never flood the earth again globally, even though man's heart is wicked. And then following that today, we're going to be in the story of the Tower of Babel. And my, my, my desire, my prayer, is that God would continue to get bigger and each one of us would continue to get smaller. And what I, what I mean by that is like John the Baptist in John 3.30, he said of Jesus Christ, he said, may he increase and may I decrease. And, and I pray that as we see more of who God is and, and he continues to expand, that we would see where we are. We would feel smaller. But to the glory of God, that he would do that in us. So that's my prayer. That's my desire. If you want to stand with me as we read Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitemen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So first, I just want to think about the structure of Genesis 10. I've, I've named this message, or sorry, Genesis 11. I've named this message, whose kingdom are we building? And then kind of another thought, which kingdom will last? That's what we're seeing here. Whose kingdom are we building? Which kingdom will last? 
So maybe, I don't know if you know this, but so Genesis 10 is actually all about the nations spreading out from Noah. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why is, why is Genesis 11 where it is, Genesis 10 where it is? Like Genesis 10.32 says this, These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Genesis 11, you have how it happened. They're just in, in different order. I don't know if it's grammatical or theologically why that happens, but Genesis 11 explains why the nations were dispersed in Genesis chapter 10. You actually see this in Scripture uh, in the beginning of Genesis. You have day one, or, or sorry, day six in Genesis in chapter one. It talks about, you know, God made Adam and, or made the male and female in his likeness. But then Genesis chapter two is actually like day two, or sorry, <laughs> I'm messing up, day six in great detail. And so here we have Genesis chapter 11, why they were dispersed, explaining what happens in Genesis chapter 10. Because even if you, have, if you look at Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, it says this. From there, these coastland people spread in their lands, each with, with his own language. It says that again in verse 20 and verse 31. Keeps, all these nations keep spreading out, and they all have their own languages. So again, then you get to Genesis chapter 11. They had one language, kind of one purpose, and they're spread out from there. In fact, Genesis 11... This part of the structure, it's a chiasm. And unless you study poetry, you're like, what is a chiasm? It's kind of like, it has a similar start to a similar end. Verses 1 to 4 kind of focus on man. Verses uh, 6 to 9 focus on God. And, and kind of verse 5 in the middle changes everything as God shows up. Alan Ross, one commentator, says this, At the beginning, the people are united in speaking one language. At the end, they are scattered in speaking different languages. The material in between explains this reversal. So looking at the first section, verses 1 to 4, I want us to see how to build humanity's kingdom. Like we needed a lesson, but it's going to be, there's going to be two points, big points. You can see how to build humanity's kingdom. Let's see how they do it. If you just notice, I just want to bring your attention. Genesis 9, 1 to 7, they get off the ark. And God's command to Noah and his sons. In Genesis 9, 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then 9, 7, he kind of reiterates it. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Multiply, fill the earth, like go and spread. Like they got this clear command from the Lord. But we see... When we look at Genesis 11, they do the opposite. So step one, how do you build humanity's kingdom? Step one, disobey God, do your own thing, do whatever you want. That's how you build humanity's kingdom. Step one, we'll talk about the other step here in a moment. So look at Genesis 11, verse 1 and 2 with me. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, one vocabulary. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, we've seen this before, that people migrating from the east. We've seen this in Genesis before. If you notice, Adam and Eve, when they're kicked out of the garden, after they had eat, eaten one piece of fruit, it says this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, speaking of God, they, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, He placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So after Adam and Eve sinned, they're kicked out of the garden on the east. And then if we know the story of Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, 
And, and then God says, Cain, you're going to be a wanderer. And then Genesis 4, uh, verse 16, it says this, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so there is this kind of picture of people as they're moving east, they seem to be going away from obeying God towards disobeying God. And we see it again because the ark, we know, landed on Mount Era in Turkey, and seemingly they went east. They're supposed to disperse amongst the earth. They went to Shinar and settled down there. Again, disobeying what God had commanded them. And where is Shinar? That's, that's Babylon, a name given it to it later on in time. Southern Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. Because everyone's like, yeah, I know Shinar on a map. I could show you where that is. So modern-day Iraq. And they settled there. God said to fill the earth. They said no. Like that, that's what we're seeing happening. Like, no, we're going to go to a certain place. And what are they going to do there? Well, we see verses 3 and 4. I want you to see they want to be like God. Genesis 11, verse 3. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitmune and mortar. Basically, like, look at the details that's recorded there, the things that they built with. Sarfati helps us here. He says the reason for bricks is that southern Mesopotamia lacks good building stone, but has plenty of clay. These hard kiln burned bricks would be joined with bitmune or asphalt, which is plentiful in Babylonian. It's actually similar to what we have in the oil sands. Like it's a guitar-like substance. So they're mixing it with the bricks to build this, this structure, build their city and then build their tower. As we see in verse 4, I also just want you to notice this, verse 3 and 4, where it says, they said to one another, come, let us bake bricks and in verse 4 then they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we disperse over the face of the whole earth if you know Genesis we've seen that phrase before Genesis 1:26, where God says let us make man in our image right so the step one in order to build a kingdom for humanity and disobey God. Step two is try to be like God. Take His place. Make yourselves great because that's what we see happening. That's what the language is implying by using the same thing that God says among Himself and we'll see later on in this, in this section we're looking at. So they're building their own tower. They're building their own kingdom. It was man's best step forward. Me, myself, and I. That's what we see happening here. Man's rebellious heart. The tower that they built was a, called a ziggurat. Alan Ross says this, The building of a tower recorded in Genesis refers to the original building of the Tower of Stairs known as a ziggurat. It's so common in the cities of the east such as Babylon. And Sarfati says this, One famous surviving ziggurat was known in antiquity in ancient times as the Tongue Tower in the Sumerian city of Bersippa, southwest of Babylon, on the east bank of the Euphrates. I'm just pointing out, it's interesting that ziggurats originated from there. I look forward to Vance's book and research. I know they spread out seemingly around the world. There's all these technologies that spread out as, as people got spread. Look forward to reading that when it comes out. But it's interesting, even that there's this legend, of like, yeah, one of these is called like, the Tongue Tower of the story that we're going to read. In, in, in the ancient world, they had this memory of what had happened. And so they're building this tower. And what do they want to do with it? They want to reach to the heavens. 
But it's top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Do you see the me focus? I want you to see this. We sang this song today, how great is our God. The song of humanity is how great am I? Or Sinatra's, I, I did it my way. That's the song of humanity. And what, why would they do this? Why would they disobey God and seek to build their own tower? I think the primary reason was pride. Like there's good pride. A job well done. We want to do things with excellence. We want to do a good job. But this pride that we're talking about, it's like it's all about me. Look at me. Look what I have done. Type pride. And we think about pride here for a moment. I just want to take some more time to really just drill down on pride. I think it's so significant. I think maybe it's one of our like primary sins, primary things in our heart that draws us away from God. If you think for a moment with me, actually the devil, the devil fell into pride. And just looking at um, Ezekiel 28, it's going to turn there and read from there. Ezekiel 28 is actually, Ezekiel says it's about the, the king or prince of Tyre. But as you read about it, you're like, well, this is not talking about him. This is talking about the devil or Satan. Ezekiel 28, describing Satan, verses 13 and 14. It says this, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. So this seemingly is talking about Satan. But then look at verse 17, or just listen if you're not there. It says this, Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. This Satan made beautiful. made the guardian cherub. This seemingly like top angel. And because of pride, he wanted to take God's place and he was thrown down. And then we know what happened in the garden. How man, Adam and Eve took one fruit they weren't supposed to and then sin entered into the world. And so every human has sin in their lives, this natural tendency to turn away from God. But because of that, we also have a natural bent towards pride. I think that's one of our, our primary ways in which, in which we sin. So we see here, though in the Tower of Babel, I think the pride of the people led them to rebelling against God and trying to build their own kingdom. So again, I just want to stay here with pride for a few minutes, really drill down. There's so many warnings that are given in Scripture about pride. Just looking at a few Proverbs. It says this, Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. And with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15:25 says this, the first part, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, is proudful, but humility comes before honor. I just, I wonder, is this the chief sin that needs to be most guarded and fought against? Now, I would argue, yes, actually, that pride is seemingly like the greatest thing was to turn our hearts away from God and rebel against Him. But 
We see the, the people building the Tower of Babel, they were dealing with pride. But do we deal with pride today? Just, just think for a moment like of the high towers that we have today. Are we still trying to build towers to the sky? I think people still want to reach the heavens, just like Babel did. Just, just think of like the, some of the biggest towers. The Burj Khalifa in Dubai is 2,700 feet off the ground. The Shanghai Tower is just over 2,000. It's the tallest twisted building. In Iraj al Bay, it's almost 2,000 feet. In Mecca, Saudi Arabia, the tallest building with a clock tower. It's like if you're not the tallest building, you've got to be the tallest building with something. You've got to be number one somehow. Interesting, China has is five of the top ten tallest towers in the world. It, it's just interesting. Like there's still something like we want to be the highest in the clouds because it means something. Is humanity proud of its accomplishments? And I know I could sit there for so long, but I won't. But just think even for ourselves. Our world says maybe our problem is, is self-esteem. Like if we just love ourselves more, we'd be better. But no, the problem is not with self-esteem. The problem is that we actually love ourselves too much. We don't love God as we ought to. Where the world says, yes, it's about you. The Bible says it's about God. So we just think how to build humanity's kingdom, disobey God, try to be God. Do we do that ourselves? Does pride help us build our own kingdoms? We can be focused on ourselves, focus on our own achievements, focus on our future. We can reign supreme. I just think, can we have pride in religion? Religious pride. Absolutely. It's, but it's like taking something that's good, like a, a cup of cold water, we need, we need water to drink to survive and like offer it to someone on a hot day. Would you take it? But there's a bit of poison in it. <laughs> a bit of cyanide. But it's good. It's water. That's what pride can do even on things that are good before the Lord. It poisons it. You know, we can say and, and, and we believe like Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. You have to believe in Him. and Him alone. Faith in Christ. For your sins to be forgiven. We can take that into religious, bring religious pride and create a system. Actually, yes, but you need to confess your sins before a priest. Pride of humanity entered in what God has created good. We can see what is good. God calling His people to gather together and worship Him. Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the, the gathering together of the saints, the meeting. But even we can do that which is good and then be prideful. You're like, God, look at me. I'm coming to church. Do you see what I'm doing? We can take reading His Scripture, reading His Word for our soul. We need that. It's so good. But then pride can enter in. And like, you want to tell, hey, guess how much I read in the Bible? Look how godly I am. It can poison that which is good. Pride is so dangerous. But what should our response be? With pride. Ultimately, I think it needs to be to turn to God. If you just turn with me or, or listen in James chapter 4. And it gives us a good idea what to do with pride. James chapter 4, looking at verses 6 to 10. He, he writes this. Of God, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what do you do with pride? Look at verse 7 or listen. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will free, free from you. That's what you do with pride as you go to God. With your pride. And this is what you do in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But then in response, if you come with pride, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like repent before God with your pride. This is what I must continually do. But then what does it say in verse 10? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we don't, our pride will take us away from God, but by his spirit, may we, may we take our, yes, Lord, I am prideful. I see it in my heart. I know there's, there's things that I've done. I, I'm standing up too tall, Lord. I'm bringing up before you. Forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, change me. And he does. That's what we do with our pride. We want to turn our attention to God. Because truly, if we're truly focused on God, the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you're truly worshiping Him, you can't be prideful. Like seriously, right? If you're actually gazing upon the one who sits on the throne, who has never left it from all of eternity, Alpha and Omega, you're like, you're praising Him. There's not pride. Old Saint John Owen said this, Think greatly on the greatness of God. And that's how we can deal with pride. By thinking often on God. And thinking about God, but thinking specifically about Jesus Christ. Just compare that, like, man's pride in, in Babel, and they're like, it's all about me. Humanity. But you think about Jesus Christ. How amazing it is. The one who, the people in Babel were trying to build up to heaven. Jesus Christ came down from heaven. And humbled himself and became a man. Born in a manger. Talk about humility. And then as he's, as he's living his life, as he's even ministering to people, he has no place to lay his head. And then he came to die on the cross for you and for me. And if we think often upon Jesus Christ, the humility that he had and the work that he accomplished, I, I pray by the Spirit's work we take pride from our hearts. Knowing that all of us actually at our core were rebels. And I would have joined the crowd in Babel and said, build it higher. And yet Jesus died for him. He died for you. Amazing. So going, going back, that's why my prayer continually of this message is John 3.30. He must increase, we must decrease. So notice this, Genesis 11. So the, the people are building the tower reaching as high as they can, building humanity's kingdom, right? Disobeying God, trying to be God. And look at verse 5. I want to see humanity's kingdom versus God's kingdom. 11 verse 5 says this, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. Now, I don't know if you read in your Bibles. I would encourage you to. It's not against the rules. God, God will still loves you, whether you write in your Bible or not. But if you would notice, uh, continue on verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. It's the Lord. The Lord. Like if you kept circling God every time He appears, like God's not there, 1 to 4, 5, He shows up. You just circle. The Lord, the Lord. Now God is entering the picture. 
And what's happening here, when it says the Lord came down to see the city, this is again maybe my favorite word, not really, but I'll keep saying it. Anthropomorphism, right? It's, it's taking like a human quality and applying it to God. Because God didn't need to come down and see. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God's omniscient. He knows all things. But it's putting it in human language so we can grasp what is happening. But I, lo- I love it. God has to descend. Right? Just, just think about this. The humans are like, they're trying their hardest. Let's build up to heaven. God has to come down. There's a few passages thinking about who God is. From Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 verse 21 to 23 says this. Do you not know, speaking of God, do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. And he brings princes to nothing. It makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. This is the God we're talking about. There's another passage there. Isaiah, Isaiah 57 verse 15. It says this about God. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God, He inhabits eternity. He sits above the circle of the earth. The people are like grasshoppers. Also loving that picture, Isaiah 57, but He's with the lowly and contrite in heart. However big and vast God is, He's with those who be humble. He's with the repentant. But again, notice those builders in Babel, the tower did not reach their goal. God had to come down. It's like this picture, like God in heaven is like, I think something's happening down there. I need to go and see. And humanity's like, wow, such a big tower. It's so amazing. No, God had to come down and see what was happening. Like that's what the author is saying. That's what Moses is telling us. One who wrote Genesis. Notice even it says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. Or the children of Adam. Just a bunch of kids. Doing work. Like that's, that's what God's perspective is. So that's humanity's kingdom, God's kingdom. Humanity's kingdom struggling to build something. God has to come down. God inhabits eternity. He's made all things. Look at verses 6 to 9 with me. I want us to see God's response to humanity. His will is done. His kingdom is built. Is being built. I'm not good at titles. I'm just like, I just keep adding on. I want to see God's response. Look at verse 6 with me. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing what they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Very similar to Genesis 3.22. For Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, Well, we have to keep out of their hands the tree of life. Like they've already done this much evil. We need to pull back from them even more wickedness. Like look at what happened. All these people with one language. Everything that they've done. Victor Hamilton says this. As in Genesis 3, mankind is trying to overstep his limits. And in fact does so only to pay a price for that self 
exaltation. This proposed or potential action must be thwarted here as it was in Genesis 3. Look what the teamwork has done. This rebellion against God, if you would let them continue on, it would only increase. So look at what happens next. We know the story. Verse 7. Again, the language, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one other speech. Come, let us go down. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you'll have us in capitals. To bring our attention that this us, this plural form, is actually referring to the Trinity. We see hints of the Trinity at the beginnings of Genesis. Genesis 1.26 Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Right? God is one. He appears in Scripture in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's even what we're seeing here the Tower of Babel. It's something, we see a glimpse of this doctrine in the beginning chapters of Genesis. It's fully revealed as you work through Scripture. Again, maybe we see it more very clearly parts of the New Testament. Jesus' baptism, right? Jesus goes into the water. He's the Son, the Son of God. The Father says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, who is also God, descends as a dove. Three persons of the Trinity. So that's what we see happening there come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. So that may not understand one another's speech. Right? Like, what's God going to do? They're all going together, they're conspiring, they're building this tower to the heaven, so he confuses their language. Makes them speak, speak in different tongues to one another. Just, just think about the ability to communicate, how it helps to get things done. I don't know if you've spent any time overseas or talking with people who's primary language is not English, and maybe the more complicated things you're talking about, the more miscommunication can happen, and you can get very frustrated, especially if, like, they don't know any English, and you don't know what their language is. And you can, you can communicate a lot of simple things through body language, right? If you go overseas, and you want, you know, the thing, looking for a washroom or whatever, right? You can find that. But in terms of, like, building a tower, just think about this. Think about the chaos that would have ensued as they no longer spoke the same language. And these people who are working together, building bricks, and it's like, I, I, in my mind, it's like Charlie Brown. I don't know if you've ever seen Charlie Brown. Anytime that the parents talk, it's like, wah, 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 wah. Like, that's what's happening. They're like, before, they're like, hey, yeah, pass that brick over here. Let's go up over here. And the guy's like, wah, 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 Like, what? Or, or maybe they're like, what did you just say to me? And they're also in this confusion. It's like they're turning against one another, and everything falls apart. Because God changes their languages. The ability to communicate. This is just an interesting point Derek Kinder makes. It makes it clear that unity and peace are not ultimate goods. Better division than collective apostasy. That's interesting. All of humanity together, they're like, how can we be God? And God divided them. And gave them different languages to speak. And we'll talk more about this a little later. But what do we see? This like yearning to like come together as one. God said that wasn't good. Look at verse 8. Continuing. You see man's plans and the Lord's will. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Right? What, what their goal was not to disperse. You see in verse 2 and verse 4. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. 
And verse 4, they're going to make a name for themselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're like, hey, we're planting our flag. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. God's response, disperse them. <laughs> I love it. They're like, hey, we want to make a name for ourselves. They made a name. It's called Babel. When God just spread them out. But also, I think we see here God's mercy. Because if you just think not too long ago, in the, in the Bible, even in chronological time, like the earth was globally flooded. And they left, they went off the ark, and instead of spreading, they rebelled. And God in His mercy spreads them and gives them different languages. Doesn't wipe them out. It's God's mercy and His kindness. But I love, like you see just man, like this is what we're going to do. We're going nowhere else. God's like, and you're gone. Reminds me, Proverbs 16.1 says this, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I love it. Like, is, is, is our will going to be done or is God's will? It's, like it's God's will. We, we can just see this in a, in a few things we need to deal with in our time, like aging. People can come up with all types of like anti-aging creams and whatever. It's like, you're still going to celebrate the next birthday. Because marking another year went by, you're still getting older, like sickness. Mankind are like, hey, this is what we're going to do to stop things. And you're like, there's a prime example we could talk about. We didn't stop things. Things just kept going. Or, or even like death. <laughs> like there's some people that, they, you know, I think it's Walt Disney. There's probably other people who are like, going to just freeze ourselves. Because people in the future are going to figure this thing out about death. And then you can like, revive me and make sure I keep living. It's like, no, God's will is going to be done. We all die. So I think that's what we see here. We see almost like the people of, of mankind's planet flag were going over. Like a, like a toddler who doesn't want to have a bath. No, no. I'm sure none of you have ever dealt with that. It's like you just pick up the toddler. You're going to the bathtub. That's what happens. Like God's will is always accomplished. We see that here in Babel. In verse 9, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Who is the hero of the text? Who is the last one standing? It's God. I love that they made a name for themselves, Babel. That's the name they made for themselves. Interesting, Babylon, ancient Babylon, they, their own history of understanding Babel, they even have a different definition for the word where they say it means the gate, excuse me, the gate of the God. That's how they'll remember Babel. That's how they defined it. The gate of the God. Where in, in Hebrew, it, it sounds like the word for mixed up or confused. I, I just love this. Think about what's left Unfinished city, unfinished tower. This is the monument of humanity. <laughs> the unfinished tower of Babel. This is us at our best. When we want to be God, we want to disobey Him. The monument of humanity. Proverbs 10.24 says this, What the wicked dreads will come upon him. Now I just want to take a few other points from this story, if you will, like pull a few threads. You know, you have a sweater, I don't know if you ever do that, and you start pulling a thread. 
It's not good. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> but just one, like, where do, you, where do you go from this story in the book? It's like they gather together, they get dispersed. That's Genesis 10. It really explains the dispersion, the spreading out of the nations and the languages. And then from, though, continuing on, you're like, what hope is there? Just such rebellious people. But then the story leads to one man, Abraham. And God says, from this one man, not a believer, we're going to look at it a bit next week, I'm going to build a nation. And my blessings are going to be poured out through that nation, through that people. So it's amazing how God works, even in the midst of man's rebellion. So that's kind of one thread. Abraham, we're going to look a bit at him next week. The next one I want to just pull on is, is Babylon. Right? They built up the Tower of Babel in Shinar, later on called Babylon. Babylon in the Bible is, is like a picture of people against God. That's, that's Babylon. So Babel, the land of Shinar, Babylon, later on in Scripture is the wicked nation that takes Judah into exile, the Babylonians. In the Old Testament, even in the, in the New Testament, the word Babylon, uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 5.13, refers Babylon being Rome. Like this kind of, this wicked nation that's persecuting Christians and against them. So that's what Babylon starts to become this word for the nations that are persecuting believers. Then even in, in Revelation, we see Babylon referring to the wicked world system. But then Revelation 8, 18.2, this angel calls out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And that whole world system is destroyed. We know that's going to happen in the future. I'll just think about this for a moment with me. When you hear or read of global elites plotting together to rule, to make a name for themselves, remember what happened in Genesis 11 and be encouraged. Again, it's, it's interesting, like everything's happening wide open. Nothing's hidden. Even if I would just take a look, if you will, look at this old uh, painting of the Tower of Babel. If you search on your phone, not now, I'll do it later. But if you search on your phone, the Tower of Babel, famous painting, and then just look at the European Union building. It's like the unfinished Tower of Babel. It's like they're, I don't know why they would want to create a monument like that, but that's what they're doing. And you know, if you were to look into the World Economic Forum, it's just happening all in plain sight. You can see what their plans and purposes are. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to be in control. So friends, in the future, it, it may get harder. It, it may get darker. But we know the end of the story. Babylon falls. God wins. And I hope you can take this story and be encouraged greatly in your heart. When man gathers together and wants to be God, God shows up. Doesn't work out. All throughout Scripture. But we can take that to heart, seeing there, Genesis chapter 11. Then I just want to pull one more string. People speaking in different languages. Right? The rest of the Bible. Even the Scripture, right? We have the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, sometimes in Aramaic. Different languages. But when... When does God change languages again? Just think about this. This act 
in the Tower of Babel, they're giving different languages, they're dispersed because they're rebelling against God. But when does God change the languages again? Happens at Pentecost. I'm just looking at Acts chapter 2, the beginning, right? Like, what? Well, you know, it's Jesus, and He died, He died for our sins. He was buried in the grave, He rose again. Then He met with many people over 40 days, then He ascended into heaven. He told the believers, hey, wait in Jerusalem and pray until you receive power from on high. The day of Pentecost. What happens on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2, verses, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us, each of us in his own native language? And you look at verse 11, if you're there with me, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. God's Spirit comes down upon the apostles and they speak in these other languages, other known languages, and people are hearing about the mighty works of God. For what purpose? To share the gospel. God's like, hey, this, this is going to happen. You're going to get this spirit. And what's going to happen? You're going to be able to tell more people about Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. They get the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They go out wherever they can, using their tongues, using the languages they have. And they tell people about Jesus, that He died for their sins. And there's a judgment to come. And God, the only way to be saved from God is through Jesus Christ because He took God's wrath upon Himself, His punishment that we deserve. Everyone who would repent and believe would, would find life in Him. That's what we see happening in the books of, book of Acts. I just think it's amazing that God's the one who separated the languages. That God, by His Spirit, uses language in which to, shout, which to share the glory of the Gospel. If you just think about this, so the Tower of Babel, they wanted to build a tower to the heavens. That's what they did with one language. They wanted to be like God. Our job as Christians now is to share with those that we can the gospel, share the love of Jesus Christ, share with people what He did. And what's, what's the end? Then we would see in, in Revelation 5, 9, before the throne, there's people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered around the throne. What man's way is, hey, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to build my own kingdom. God's way is trust in Jesus Christ and you'll be in heaven around the throne worshiping with the saints. I want you to see that. Like, that's the amazing thing. God, hey, no, I'm going to build my own kingdom. No, I'm going to build God's kingdom. And how do we do that? The opposite. Build humanity's kingdom. Disobey God. Try to be like God. How do you build God's kingdom? Obey God. Let God be God. And in doing that, He's called us to share the gospel. That's how we build His kingdom. 
by making His name known, by seeing people come to faith in Christ. That's how we, we don't build a tower to heaven. We get to go to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you, use your tongue to proclaim the gospel. Use your tongue to proclaim praises to God. That we would obey God, let God be God. That He received the glory. If you want to bow with me, we'll close this time in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray You'd seal this word in our hearts. Yet not what is from You, May we take to heart that which is not. May we just forget. Thank you for the ability to speak and to communicate. I pray by your Holy Spirit, help us to use the language you've given us, whether one or many, to use that to make your name known. Oh Lord, we praise you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.